0: For Jesus' glory in us, we pray. Amen. There's a big oak tree in my yard that has one dead branch hanging down from it. I don't like looking at that branch. (laughs) Makes me nervous. (laughs) I mean, the rest of the tree is beautiful, strong, all the branches firmly attached, blossoming the second week of May like clockwork. But somehow that one branch got detached, and it died on the tree. That branch is ugly. No leaves, no acorns. I should probably hire somebody to cut that branch off that tree. It could be dangerous if it falls. Heads up, kids. Oak makes good firewood, though, doesn't it? I would be shocked to see anything growing on that branch next year. One way or another, that branch is going to come down. Either it's going to fall, or I'll hire a guy. It's only a matter of time. And yet somehow, people think the Christian life can work differently. Hang by a thread, barely connected to the vine produce no fruit, and yet expect to keep their place in the plant. If you would turn with me to John 15, verses 1 to 17, we're going to see Jesus using just this metaphor for the Christian life, for Christians themselves. And he tells us that the fruitful Christian life is the only Christian life there is. The fruitful Christian life is the only Christian life there is. And he gives us five encouragements towards a fruitful Christian life. I'll just walk us through those five very briefly. The power to be a fruitful Christian comes from remaining in Christ in verses 1 through 5. That means persevering in personal communion with Him, personal conversation, fellowship with Him, in prayer and in God's Word. The peril of a fruitless life, though, is final judgment. In verse 6, burning. But the promise of a fruitful life is answered prayer and God's glory in your character and fruitfulness, the evident proof and assurance of your discipleship to Him. The pattern for the fruitful life is is God's love for Jesus and Jesus' obedience to his Father, Jesus' self-sacrificing love for us. And the purpose of the fruitful life is Christ's electing purpose for choosing you, which is the lasting fruit of holiness before God and love for each other. So that's where we're going this morning in John 15:1 through 17. You cannot bear the fruit of the Spirit apart from Christ and his spirit living in you. Any more than a branch can bear fruit apart from the vine. A branch feeds on sap that only comes from a rooted vine. Detachment is the death of the branch. And a skimpy reception of sap leaves you dying on the vine. But if you do remain in Christ by feeding on His life-giving power and His word, prayer, and ordinances in the church, then the promise and proof of fruitfulness remains available to you and for you. The fruit God expects is self-giving, self-forgetting love for each other on the pattern of Jesus' love for us in obedience to His Father. That is His electing purpose for you. That's why He chose you to be one whom he saves. And Jesus designs that purpose to be achieved in local church fellowship as branches together connected to each other through connection to the same vine. So let's read the text. But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. So again, the overall point is that the fruitful Christian life is the only Christian life there is. We have five encouragements to that fruitful Christian life. First, the power for a fruitful Christian life. The power for a fruitful Christian life in verses 1 through 5. The power for a fruitful Christian life is persevering union with Christ through practiced communion with Christ. The indwelling Christ is the life of of the Christian. And it is his power for living the Christian life. Now this vine imagery is not original with Jesus. He's picking it up from Old Testament passages like we heard earlier in Isaiah 5. Even as far back as Exodus 15:17, it was said of Israel, you will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. Israel was God's vine, and yet they bore sour grapes. Jeremiah 2.21, I planted you a choice vine, holy of pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? Hosea 10.1, Israel is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit. The more his fruit increased, the more altars he built. That fruit was material prosperity, but those altars were for their idols. So God let his vineyard go to the dogs. Psalm 80, verses 8 to 11. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. Why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar, the wild boar from the forest ravages it. And so Israel prayed for themselves as God's vine in Psalm 80, verse 14. Turn again, O God of hosts, Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stalk that your right hand planted, and for the Son whom you have made strong for yourself. And right here in John 15, that prayer is being answered. Jesus is the Son of God's right hand. He will be the true vine who empowers His people to bear good fruit from His root. Jesus Is God's true vine that Israel failed to be? Jesus will bear the good fruit of total sinless obedience to God and His covenant and totally faithful witness to God's truth and love and mercy and compassion and judgment and salvation. Jesus will then endure the curse of God's covenant. For all the disobedience of all of God's trusting people, whether Jew or Gentile, and Jesus himself then will be, for us, by his indwelling spirit, the power for a fruitful Christian life. The power for a fruitful Christian life is persevering union with Christ through practiced communion with Christ. Jesus is the life of the Christian life in your heart. He walks us into this vine metaphor in verse 2. A vine branch has one job. You have one job! Bear good fruit. That's it. That's all you got to do. Bear good fruit. That's all God expects of you. Bear good fruit. In fact, that's actually all a vine branch is even good for. That's all the vintner expects the branch to do. He doesn't expect the branch to do a song and a dance. He doesn't expect the branch to do the work of the farmer. He expects the branch to bear good fruit. A branch that does not bear good fruit is good for nothing. So the vintner takes it away, cuts it off, away from the vine, so that the useless vine branch doesn't waste sap that could be going to a fruit-bearing branch. It only stands to reason. A fruitful branch, though, gets another kind of attention from the vintner. The fruitful branch doesn't get cut off. It gets cut back cleansed, pruned, but only so that it will be cleared and freed and simplified to bear even more fruit than it's already bearing. Some of you guys watch college football. You know who you put in the game? (laughs) The guy who's producing, (laughs) right? You give him more snaps. And you take out the guys who don't do so well. It only stands to reason. Now, a vintner isn't just in it for the most grapes, regardless of their quality. A vintner is in it for the best grapes possible. Not just average or unusable grapes. So he prunes back mediocre growth, even on good branches, so that all the sap goes to producing the best grapes, not just average grapes. God deadheads branches and blossoms in your life that take too much sap to sustain unusable fruit. So that all the energy goes to bigger, more flavorful, ripening fruit. So when God's providence hurts you, Christian, when God does things in your life that you don't like, when he takes away things that you love, people that you love, that's why. When the storm destroys, when the cancer returns, when the children rebel, Or get sick or die. When the money disappears, when the job goes away, when the friend betrays, when the ministry fails, Christian, he's not cutting you off, he's cutting you back with that very sickness or sorrow or conflict or pain. Or loss an unpruned branch grows wild wild growth is unconstrained and there's a certain kind of lovable ugliness to it there's a certain kind of you can kind of appreciate wild growth it's often abundant growth when it's wild But it's rarely useful growth. Right? You don't like looking at your neighbor's yard when he doesn't mow it. You like looking at a nice green mowed lawn, right? You don't like it when it's overgrown with dandelions and weeds. That's gross. Are dandelions pretty? Yeah, kind of. To little girls, I think. Little girls like dandelions. They bring their dads dandelions. But a grown man who's a yard guy, (laughs) that dandelion has gone. It's gone. I'm killing it. Pruned growth. Pruned growth is beautiful. Pruned growth is useful. God doesn't want wild growth in your heart and life. He wants sweet, holy, humble, loving, trusting, obedient, patient, enduring, compassionate, tender, firm, radiant fruit. I don't like soft, mushy grapes. I like tender, firm, juicy grapes. Right? I don't like to bite into a grape and be like, ugh. I like it to have some snap to it. You don't get that kind of grape in the wild, do you? No, no, no. You, you, you have to nurture that kind of growth, that kind of good fruitfulness, useful fruitfulness. What God wants out of your life, Christian, is not just the most fruit. He wants the best fruit. That's why He prunes you. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Verse 3, that word clean is the same word family as the verb pruned. And it goes back to Chapter 13, verse 10, they already believe, they've already been washed by faith in Jesus' teaching about himself and what he would do and dying for them and rising again from the dead. They believe, they're with him. They've already been pruned, they're readied for fruitfulness by their faith in him and loyalty to him, even through the persecution of the Pharisees. They've already believed that they have to eat Jesus' flesh and drink his blood, as it were. They've already stuck with him through that kind of teaching, even though lots of other people left him back in John 6. Now they must stay with, staying with him, here in verse 4. Stay with, staying with him. Remain in me and I in you, just as the branch is unable, powerless to bear fruit from itself, unless it remains in the vine, so also it is with you, unless, in, unless you remain in me. This whole thing is just another way of saying what Jesus already said in John 6, 56. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides. Same verb, abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread of the, that the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread... This is real manna. He's going to live forever. You feed on me. You feed on my body broken for you. My blood shed for you. You feed on that truth. You feed your soul on that. That will nourish you. That will lead you to eternal life. Now abiding is not, don't get wrapped around your own axle about this, okay? Abiding is not like some kind of transcendental meditation in the lotus position, some secret mind-emptying mysticism that you don't know how to achieve in your quiet time. Abide, abide. Mm, am I abiding yet? I don't know. Don't do that. That's not what, what it means. When John uses this word, he normally just means either staying in a location somewhere, geographically, in a city, or sticking with some person or belief, We're just persevering in a constant condition. Stay. Remain. Keep on. Most recently in chapter 14 verses 10 and 17 it's indicating the indwelling of the Father in the Son and the dwelling of the Spirit in and with believers. He's going to stay with us. And the Father stays, lives his life in the Son. So abiding in Christ is just persevering in relational communion or fellowship with Christ by faith. Following Him, sticking with Him, staying with Him, persisting, no matter what the culture does, no matter what you have to sacrifice for it. To abide in Christ is not to achieve some mystic state of consciousness in your quiet time, but simply to keep on living life in moment-by-moment, moment, daily communion communication with Christ. Keep relating to Jesus. Keep listening to Him in Scripture. Keep praying to Him in prayer. Keep fellowshipping with Him, with His people. Stay a part of His family. Keep knowing and being known here. Stay personally attached to Jesus in these ways, like a branch on a vine. Don't fall off. Don't detach from him. In John 6, 56, the image was, Eat my flesh, drink my blood, and you will abide in me, and I will abide in you. And you will live off of my self-replenishing life. Same thing here, just a different image. Stay attached to me and dependent on me for spiritual vitality from my spiritual sap. The branch feeds on the sap that only comes from the rooted vine. That's how you stay strong to bear good fruit. He says in verse 5, I am the vine, you're the branches, the one remaining in me and I in him. This is the one who bears much fruit because apart from me you can do nothing. You will never find ripe grapes on a detached branch. When have you ever been walking through a forest, and see a dead branch on the ground with good fruit on it. That you're like, man, that looks delicious. You might see rotting fruit on it. You might see browning leaves on it, but you won't see good fruit. You won't see living fruit. You certainly won't see growing fruit. A severed branch is a sapless branch. And a sapless branch is a fruitless branch. We are as powerless to live the Christian life in our own flesh as a branch is to bear fruit laying on the ground cut off from the vine. You know what this means that Jesus has to tell you and me this stuff? It means we think way too highly of ourselves. It means he thinks, we think, we can produce good fruit apart from him. Now, Christian, you tell me, isn't that how you often live your daily Christian life? I don't have time for my quiet time. I don't have time to read the Bible. I don't have time to pray. It doesn't really work. I don't really understand it. It's not that fun. Why don't I bear fruit in evangelism? Why don't I grow in holiness? Why can't I say no to my lusts? Ah, I think you've answered your own question. God's promises are good. You have to take him up on them. If you're not reading your Bible regularly, praying regularly, attending church regularly, relating to other Christians regularly, confessing your sins, asking God to fill you with his spirit for obedience and love, then you have already solved the mystery of your own fruitfulness. It's not a mystery. What you are missing is practiced union and communion with Jesus. What he wants is you. He wants you. Weak Christian, do you feel powerless against your lusts? When's the last time you prayed scripture about lust back to God for your benefit? Have you brought that lust to Jesus in prayer to say, Jesus, I am powerless against my own lustful thoughts? I can't say no. But I trust that you can funnel your spiritual sap into my soul's veins so that I can have the power and inclination to say no to ungodliness and worldly lusts and to repel even the first motions of lust in my mind and heart. I know that that's what you promised me, and I want that, and I'm not experiencing that now, but I'm coming to you, and I'm asking you, make good on that promise to me. Make good on it. Christian, that's the reason he came. That's the reason Jesus came. Not to make you feel endlessly guilty over your sins, but to free you from the power of your sins by grafting grafting you into himself like a branch into a living, healthy vine so that he can give you his life-giving, lust-killing sap. That sap is like the honey that Jonathan ate. It brightens the eyes of your heart. But you can't siphon that sap. You can't remain detached and then somehow create your little makeshift hose, kind of tap in. No, you gotta, you got to connect. You, you have to connect to the vine. You have to stay with him. You've got to be firmly grafted into the vine yourself to get it. If you're always trying to wiggle off the vine to do your own thing in your own way, and you're hanging there by a thread, it's no wonder that there's no fruit on your branch. It's no wonder you feel listless and not sure you want to keep going. You need more sap. That only comes from a firm connection to the vine, Jesus. Jesus. We Christian, you can be just as strong as anybody else here in this room that you respect. But you have to practice your union with Christ by communing with Christ. He wants you. He wants you. He wants relationship with you. And he wants to benefit you through your relationship with him. Second, the peril of a fruitless life. The peril of a fruitless life. Life in verse 6, If anyone does not remain in me is cast out as a branch and withers and they gather it into the fire and they cast it and it is burned. Almost everything Jesus has said to this point is applied to real fruit-bearing Christians who want to see more fruit and feel the pain of the pruning knife. But now in verse 6, Jesus addresses those who don't care that they're not bearing good fruit. Those who think they can take Christ's name on themselves as Christians and not bear good fruit. These people don't care that no one around them is growing in Christ because of their influence. These people don't care that they don't have close communion with Jesus. They're just selfish and worldly. As long as God meets their this worldly needs, they're happy, and He can be their God, and He can have the privilege of being their friend. But those people... Those people who claim to be branches on the vine, who think of themselves that way, they're all leaf and no fruit. And you remember what Jesus said to the fig tree when he came to it? All leaf and no figs. J.C. Ryle said, Where there is no fruit, there is no life. I think we need to start thinking like that more. That would clarify things very quickly, would it not? non-fruit-bearing branches don't get cleansed or pruned they get cut off and thrown into the fire jesus said that and this has both a botanical and a biblical background think about it botanically what good is a vi- what good is vine wood when it's cut off from the vine i mean the wood of a vine is not sturdy and solid like oak or pine it's stringy, so you can't build with it, and you can't build on it. You can't hang anything on it. You can't carve anything into it. Detached vine wood has very little, if any, utility, except as fuel for the fire. But that's not just botanical. It's biblical from Ezekiel 15, 1 through 8. Son of man, how does the wood of the vine surpass any wood? The vine branch that is among the trees of the forest. Is wood taken from it to make anything? Do people take a peg from it to hang any vessel on it, like a wood peg you'd hang pottery on? Behold, it is given to the fire for fuel. When the fire has consumed both ends of it and the middle of it is charred, is it then useful for anything? Behold, when it was whole, it was used for nothing. How much less when the fire has consumed it and it is charred can it ever be used for anything? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, like the wood of the vine among the trees of the forest, which I have given to the fire for fuel, so have I given up the inhabitants of Jerusalem because they have acted faithlessly. Declares the Lord God. Detachment from Christ leads to damnation in hell for all eternity. So your perspective on your Christian life shouldn't be, how loosely can I hang by a thread and still make it? Man, do you know what you're hanging over? You're hanging over hell. Some people who profess to be Christians today are just like these Israelites from the Old Testament. In the words of the Puritan pastor John Flavel, they are loath to burn; they don't want to burn in hell. Yet they are willing to sin. Those sin kindled those everlasting flames. He cannot think of damnation, the effect of sin, without horror. And cannot yet think of sin, the cause of damnation, without pleasure. Is that you? you afraid to burn, but love to sin? Well, there's lots of people like that. Just because you're afraid to burn doesn't make you a Christian. Christian, according to Jesus Christ himself, you and I are vine wood. We have one job, bear good fruit. You are only able to do that if you stay personally attached to Christ as the life-giving, sap-producing, sap-distributing vine. You have no life in yourself. None. None. Your life is in Christ's life. But as J.C. Ryle said, there are false Christians as well as true ones. There are myriads of professing Christians in every church. This is in the late 1800s. There are myriads of professing Christians in every church whose union with Christ is only outward and formal. Some of them are joined to Christ by baptism and church membership. Some of them go even further than this and are regular communicants and loud talkers about religion. But they all lack the one thing needful. Notwithstanding services and sermons and sacraments, they have no grace in their hearts, no faith, no inward work of the Holy Spirit. Useless and unsightly, such branches are only fit to be cut off and burned. They draw nothing out of the parent stem, and they make no return for the place they occupy. End quote. What Jesus is saying here is that fruitless Christianity isn't a thing. So church member, professing Christian, spiritual talker, make sure this isn't you. Some people try to see how loose an attachment they can have to Jesus and still be saved. That attitude will not save you because it will deprive you of the sap necessary to bear good fruit and so prove to be Jesus' disciple. You've got to prove it. You should be seeing how tightly attached to Jesus you can stay and how much good fruit you can bear so that your heavenly destiny is undeniable to others around you and even to you yourself, even though you know your sins better than anybody else. Make your calling and election sure, Peter says, not shaky. That's the warning. But there is also a great... Great promise. Third, the promise of a fruitful life in verses 7 and 8. The fruitful life is promising for a few things. It's promising for effectiveness in prayer. In verse 7, If anyone remains in me and my word remains in him, whatever you wish you will ask and it will be done for you. In this my Father is glorified in order that you bear much fruit and become clearly my disciples. You see how Jesus toggles back and forth between warning and promise. He's back to Promise and reward here. Jesus is not afraid to warn you. He loves you enough to warn you. And now he loves you enough to promise you. And what a promise. If I stay in Jesus, if I stick to him, with him, in him, faithfully trusting and obeying him in all my life, instructed and corrected by his word, even when his word cuts against my most natural inclinations and my favorite sins, then, then I can ask whatever I wish because my wishes will be formed by my sap-fed, spirit-led union with Christ. And I can be confident that it will be done for me as I ask, because what I am asking is something that Christ wants done. In fact, the more I stay personally attached to Christ, the more I practice my spiritual union with Christ by communion with Him, then the more I want to be fruitful in holiness and love and sound doctrine, the more concerned I am when I'm not fruitful in those things and when I bear the bad fruits of sins. The more I confess those things. And the more I want what Jesus wants for me through communion with him, the more I pray for those things as gifts from God. And the more I pray for them, the more God gives them. And the more God gives them in answer to our prayers, the more God is glorified in our character and ministry. Don't you want that? Christian, don't you want that? I should care that God is glorified, honored, made to look glorious to others by my life and holiness and ministry, and even in my suffering. It should be the honor of my life to honor the God who gave me life. It should be the glory of my heart that Jesus is glorified in me, both in my successes and my sufferings. If God's the farmer, the vintner, and Jesus is the vine, if I'm the branch, then my great desire should be that God the vintner is pleased and honored by the fruit I bear as a branch in his vine. That's why I'm here. That promise should motivate me that, hey, this is possible for you. God wants and expects this for you. God wants to do it for you. God wants this kind of relationship with you. That's why he saved you. This is not just a wish. It's not just a vain hope. It's not just like hoping somebody wins the college football playoff. This is a promise. This is a, this is going to happen. This is how I designed it. This is what I'm going to do for you. Believe me. Act like you believe me. God will answer your prayers. He will glorify himself in you by reproducing all the fruit of the spirit in your life so that you reflect and radiate Jesus' image, more clearly, to everybody around you. Now, if that's not something you're into, I don't think you're a Christian. But if you're into that, and you're frustrated that it's not happening, read John 15 this afternoon and pray over it. Christian, your Christ has given you a promise here. Hold him to it. Live your life in a way that reminds Jesus that he promised to glorify himself in the fruit of your holiness and ministry. If you remain personally attached to Him, just stay. As fruitfulness becomes my desire, it becomes the way that the Father is glorified in me, and the Father's glory in my life and obedience becomes the way that I prove to myself and everybody else that I really am His disciple. It's proven discipleship. This is what contributes to our sense of assurance. It doesn't contribute to our salvation, it contributes to our sense and comfort in the reality of our salvation. You know this, don't you? When you are in a habit of sinning, you wonder, Am I really a Christian? Yeah, right. That's how it works. <laughs> and when you are not in a habit of sinning, when you're in a habit of obeying, you're like, Man, I love being a Christian. And you don't doubt it, do you? It's your sense of assurance that is at stake in your obedience. Don't you want to be assured? Don't you want your calling and election to be made sure? Don't you want everybody around you to be like, man, that guy's a Christian, and if he doesn't think he's a Christian, I have no idea why, because look at the way he lives. Look at his godliness. Doesn't he see? Isn't that how you want other people to look at you? Or do you want them to look at you and be like, I don't know, 50-50, that could go either way at judgment day? I don't think that's how you want to look at yourself. Unfortunately, you do look at yourself that way sometimes because you sin and that messes with your assurance. If you struggle with assurance, you should be all over this. Poor soul, you doubt yourself more than you trust Jesus. You doubt yourself more than you trust Jesus. You got to flip that. You have to trust Jesus more than you doubt yourself. He promises. You've got to trust him, and you've got to trust him in a way that obeys. You've got to trust him in a way that says, you know what? He promised that he would deliver me not only from the penalty of the sin, but from its power. So I'm going to take him up on it, and I'm going to say no to this, and I'm going to trust him that if I say no, I'm going to make it, and he's going to be good to me, and I'm going to be better off without the pleasure of my sin." Live and pray like you believe Jesus' promise here. Learn to obey in a way that makes God delighted to answer your prayers as a dad delights in his obedient children. You know this, especially if you're a parent. The obedience of your children makes you want to bless them all the more. Their disobedience doesn't make you want to disown them, but it sure does affect your relationship in the house, doesn't it? And every child knows it, especially this time of year. Christmas comes, boy, I better be on my best behavior. Yeah, you know, don't you? Well, why don't you know it in your relationship with your heavenly father? You think it's any different? Christian, this is wonderfully promising to you and wonderfully simple. Stay with Jesus, you will become fruitful That fruit will glorify God and it will prove your discipleship to Jesus both in your own soul and in the eyes of others. Stay with Jesus. Stay with his word. Relate to him in prayer. Be here at church every time the doors are open. Know and be known here. Love and be loved here. And you will bear fruit. You will. God guarantees it in Christ. You will grow in holiness. You will grow in love. You will grow in sound doctrine. You will grow in the boldness of your evangelism and you will grow in the effectiveness of your prayers. That's not just some TV preacher shining you on. That's John 15. That's Jesus. There's nothing new here. There's nothing secret. There's no how exactly do I do that ambiguity. It's not complicated. It's clear. Read and study your Bible. Pray for understanding obey jesus pray for power to obey come to church even when you don't feel like it do it regularly keep doing it do it more and more the question is not how do i do that the question is do you want this fruitfulness most or do you want the world more that's the question you want your sins more you want your freedom more you want your leisure more you want your ease more or do you want fruitfulness what do you really want You glorify the Father by staying in organic communion with Christ the vine. Some, some of you think, oh, only, if I were only a disciple of Jesus, one of the apostles, I could have eaten with him face to oh, face. Then I would have been so close to him. No, 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 no. You can have that now in his word. He will relate to you like that. He will commune with you. You don't have to be a pastor for him to relate to you like that. You don't have to have a graduate degree for him to relate to you like that. You don't have to be morally perfect for him to relate to you like that. He wants you to come to him. He knows your deadness in yourself. That's why he wants to give you life. Fourth, the pattern of the fruitful life. In verses 9 to 14, is Jesus' obedience to his father. Just as the Father has loved me, so also I have loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands, and I remain in his love, Jesus' obedience to his Father. Now look at that in verse 9. Don't just glide over that. Just as the Father has loved me, so also I have loved you. Read that three times in your Bible right now. Just as the Father has loved me, so also I have loved you. Let that breathe. Christian, Jesus loves us like the Father loves him. <laughs> what? That's what you should say in your quiet time when you read that. Jesus models his love for us on the pattern of the Father's love for him. This is the kind of relationship Jesus welcomes you into with him. Jesus wants to sustain that level of love and relationship with you, the kind he enjoys with his Father. The closeness of that relationship of God the Father to God the Son is what God the Son has initiated with you and me in Christ. That kind of mutual love is the root that sustains all of your fruit. His love for us, calling for our love in return to Him. And just as it is between God the Father and God the Son, so it is between God the Son and us. It is a relationship marked by one-way authority and one-way obedience. Jesus doesn't obey you, you obey Him. The Father doesn't obey the Son, the Son obeys the Father. The Son's obedience to the Father is so central to that inner Trinitarian relationship that we cannot conceive of that relationship without obedience of the Son. I can't imagine Jesus being disobedient to his Father. The love between the Father and Son is a love expressed by the Father's unquestioned authority over the Son and the Son's voluntary obedience. To the Father at the center of it all. And just like it is there in the Trinity, so it is in my relationship with Jesus. Obedience is central, authority is central. He's not taking it away. You are not Jesus' peer. And He is not indebted or obligated to you, you are not entitled to anything outside His grace. As Jesus' obedience is crucially important to his Father, so obedience to Jesus is crucially important to him. As the Son's responsibility was to image the Father to us by his self-denying obedience to the self to the divine will for the sake of his own love to us, so our responsibility now is to image the Son to others by our self-denying obedience to Jesus and our self-denying love to one another. In other words, it's very important to Jesus that you obey him. Just like it is important to God the Father that Jesus obeys the Father. That's what Jesus is saying about your relationship to him. The pattern of the fruitful life is Jesus' loving obedience to the loving authority of his loving Father. You see how love and authority go together in the Trinity? They also go together in your relationship with Jesus. Love and authority are not opposites, authority expresses love. Love exercises authority. It's as simple as that. This kind of loving obedience to our loving Savior is the way for us to know and experience real joy in verse 11. Modernity has sapped the joy out of obedience to authority. Look there in verse 11. These things I've spoken to you in order that I might be a killjoy in order that you might have no fun. In order that you feel empty. No. In order that my joy, my joy, Jesus' joy may be in you and that your joy might be made full. Jesus wants you to experience the joy that he has in his obedience to his heavenly father. He knows there is... There are pleasures at God's right hand forever. I lo- Jesus says, I love obeying my Father. I have so much joy. It is my food to do the will of my Father who sent me. And Jesus says, I don't want to keep that to myself. I want to share it with you. I want you to feel the joy that I feel in my obedience to the Father. I want you to feel that in your obedience to me as your Savior and King. That is how our joy will be made full, not by being obstinate, but by being obedient. Pattern for our fruitfulness is also Jesus' love to us. This is my command, in order that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that someone lay down his life on behalf of his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. So Jesus' love for us It's the pattern of our love for one another. And the central feature of that pattern is that Jesus laid down his life for his friends. It's not sentimentality. It's sacrifice. That kind of self-sacrificing love, that's what sustains local churches like this one. Love makes people attend when they feel like being absent. Love does that. Love makes people serve when they feel like sitting. Love makes people stay when they feel like leaving. Do you love the people in this church like that, Christian? Do you love anybody like that who doesn't share your last name? We remain in Jesus' love by loving one another in a way that lays down our lives for each other just like Jesus laid down his life for us and so remain in his Father's love. That's the calling card of Christian love. Self-sacrifice. You lay down your life. Little ways and big. If there's nothing of this self-denying love for other Christians in your life then Jesus doesn't believe you when you say you believe in him. Because when you believe in him this kind of self-denying love is, is what it produces. This is why the local church is indispensable to the Christian life. There are, these are the specific people we're committing to love in a self-sacrificing way. I can't love like this for everybody. I can't love everybody else like this around the world. I can't love every single Christian like this around the world. But I can love you guys like this. These are the people we will lay down our lives for. These are the people we commit to obeying Jesus with. These are the people for whom we will pass up other possibilities in order to love. Maintaining our friendship and fellowship with Jesus is not automatic because it is a relationship that requires obedience to his authority. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Intimacy with Jesus requires obedience to Jesus. And this is just like it is with God the Father. Psalm 25, 14. The secret of the Lord is with who? Those who don't pay him any mind? The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. Those are the ones who will show his covenant to. You want to have a secret bearing, secret keeping, secret sharing relationship with Jesus? Obey what he's already revealed to you. Do what he says. Take his priorities as your own. Look, man, a lot of you guys know this. Some of you are bosses in your jobs. You have people under you that don't pay any attention to your authority and then they act like they're your best friend. And you're like, "Uh, excuse me, what? That doesn't fly. I'm not inviting you over for Christmas. You're my worst employee. (laughs) Right. Right. Jesus is not just our prophet or our priest, he is our king. He has a right to tell you how to live, how to talk, which words you let fly out of your mouth, what you watch on TV, and his authority over over you expresses his love to you. If you don't want that kind of intimate friendship with Jesus, which requires that kind of obedience, then Jesus really doesn't see the point of you calling yourself a Christian. You may intend it as a get out of hell free card, but disobedient discipleship is a currency that is not accepted in heaven and it is cruel for anybody to tell you otherwise that's not works righteousness it is faith working by love there is a holiness without which no one will see the lord fifth and finally the purpose of the fruitful life it's multifaceted Verses 15 to 17, the purpose of the fruitful life is, in the first instance, a revealing relationship with Jesus. No longer do I call you slaves because the slave doesn't know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends because all that I hear from my Father I make known to you. Jesus is telling his apostles all that will be necessary for the spread of the gospel, the saving of God's people, the glory of his name. And Now he has told us in Scripture that he has heard his Father say to him, for our salvation and growth in Christ, and he's going to take what he has heard and Share it with us. Friends reveal their hearts to each other. Friends share priorities and joys and sorrows and secrets. And when Jesus makes us his friend, he tells us all that his father has told him about his plans to save a people for himself. That's the inside track right there. And you know who gets it? Every Christian. Every Christian. Gets that inside track. You don't have to hear a voice or see a vision or have a dream or get a fancy education or know Greek and Hebrew. When Jesus friends you, he begins to tell you through his word and scripture all that the Father has told him. It's a revealing relationship. That's why you pray before you read scripture, because you're not just reading a novel. You're reading Christ's revelation of God to you, and that's why you obey what you read. Why would Jesus reveal any more to you if you're not obeying what he's already revealed to you? This is also an arranged relationship. You did not choose me, but I chose you. The purpose of the fruitful Christian life is first and foremost the purpose of Jesus himself. He arranged this with you. He initiated it with you. He planned it. He purposed it. Jesus handpicked his apostles for their office, and he also chose his elect people from before the foundation of the world for eternal life. We don't know why he chooses one and not another, but he does. Salvation is of the Lord from the beginning to the end. The fruitful Christian life is God's purpose for every Christian. He appointed us like he appointed the apostles to bear enduring fruit, and that means this is a responsible relationship He appointed us in order that we might go and bear fruit and that our fruit might remain. That fruit is first the fruit of Christian conviction, knowing the truth about who Jesus is, what he's done for us, and what he expects of us, how we honor and obey him. It's also the fruit of the Spirit in Christ-like character, love, joy, peace, patience, all the rest. It's the fruit of Christian ministry and service, doing good to others spiritually, He appoints us not only to eternal life in heaven, he appoints us to a life of bearing good fruit here on earth. Christian, God did not save you so that you could keep on sinning without remorse and expect heaven when you die. That's not why he saved you. It wasn't so that you could just go on living your already comfortable, prosperous, entertaining life and sprinkle a little Jesus on it like ranch dressing to cool the heat of your conscience. Jesus is not a condiment to whatever main dish you want your life to be about. Jesus is your main dish. He chose you and appointed you for the same reason he chose and appointed the apostles so that you might go and bear good fruit and your fruit might remain. That's better than whatever you had going on without Jesus. It's also a receiving relationship. He reiterates the prayer promise in verse 16, in order that whatever you ask The Father, in my name, I might do for you. Jesus wants you to have this asking and receiving relationship with him that he has with his Father. He wants to give so that in turn, when you ask, you receive, and you marvel at the mercy of that relationship to you. And yet he wants this for you, not in isolation from other people who believe the same things. He wants this for you with us, with other Christians in local churches. All this is moving towards loving one another personally, concretely in the local church. Look there in verse 17. These things I have commanded you in order that you love one another. That's where he ends. Jesus ends with you at church. Friendship with Jesus means seeking out and loving others who have friendship with Jesus. That is how Jesus talks. This whole vine and branch thing means that you are organically connected not just to the living vine but to all the other branches that are connected to the living vine. Jesus has been saying all that he's been saying really from chapter 13 on in order that you might love one another. That's why the elders here talk about the church as we do because Jesus talks about the church as he does. Love one another as Jesus loved us. How did he love us? By fulfilling his covenant commitments, sacrificing himself to do so. Is that how you live the Christ, Christian life? Is that how you love other Christians? Christian, I hope it's clear now. You cannot live the Christian life in your flesh. You cannot live the Christian life apart from Christ. What Jesus wants from you is you, organically connected to him, like a branch to a vine. He wants your heart firmly attached to his heart, receiving sap, producing fruit, asking for fruitfulness, and receiving fruitfulness and holiness and love and sound doctrine, conviction, character, competence, effectiveness, power, assurance. That's what he wants for you. To remain carelessly detached from Christ is inexcusable for us who are under the sound of the gospel. Listen to how John Flava warned his congregation 400 years ago. Now whatsoever apologies or excuses others might make for themselves in the last day, to be sure you can make none. Talking to his own congregation as a pastor. God hath given you a capacity and competent understanding. Many of you are wise and subtle in all your other concernments and only show your folly in the great concernment of your own salvation. You know what you're doing in your job, but you're totally careless with your soul. It's not that you're not smart enough. You cannot plead want of time, Flavel says to his congregation. Some of you are grown gray-headed under the gospel. You cannot plead want of means and opportunities. The ordinances and ministers of Christ have been with you all your life long to this day. Sure, if you be Christless now, you must also be speechless then on the day of judgment. That's a faithful pastor talking to his congregation 400 years ago. The great concern of every every branch is to bear good fruit. If bearing good fruit in Christian conviction and Christ-like character and ministry competence doesn't concern you at all, then that lack of concern should be very concerning to you. It should alarm you, actually, like a fire alarm. There's no such thing as a branch in the vine of Christ that has no concern to bear fruit. Just saying, I prayed a prayer a long time ago, so that settles it, that does not settle it. You will know them not by their prayer from 30 years ago. You will know them by their fruits today. You remain. Isn't that what Jesus is saying? Don't leave that prayer 30, 40 years in the past and go on living like you want. You stay with me. You live by staying attached to my vine That's the only way you're going to live. You stay. You remain. There is joyful, fruit bearing Christianity as a result of Christ's pruning and your union with Christ, and there is burning of fruitless branches cut off. There is no in between, there's no other kind of branch. Does your example clarify gospel love and holiness, or does it confuse people about what it means to be a Christian because you don't take it very seriously? and you're just hanging there by a thread, expecting to be okay. Does your example make people want to grow in holiness or get away with sin? Well, a professing Christian, take God at his word, not only at his word of warning, but also his word of promise. Get and stay personally attached to the personal Jesus by a faith that trusts him and repents of your own sin and self-righteousness and self-sufficiency. Sustain and feed that union with Christ by constant communion with him in Bible reading and prayer, in church relationships, in Lord's Day worship with the saints and self-denial. Love each other. See to it that you glean the benefits of fruitfulness for yourselves in answered prayer, the glory of God in your character and ministry, comforting evidences of your own salvation. Model your love for each other here on the self-giving love of Jesus Christ for us on the cross and make the purpose of your life to bear the good fruit of holiness and edification of other people in Christ by your Christ-like love for them. This, this is the way, this is the only way that Jesus' joy will be in you and that your joy will be made full. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Christ, we have often failed, each of us, to remain in you, to stay in communion with you, in prayer, in Bible reading, in church fellowship, in our thinking and feeling and willing. We are so prone to wander No wonder you call us sheep. Lord, may we not be dangling from the vine. And may we remain firmly attached. And we may get plenty of nourishment from the true living vine and his rootedness in your eternal being. May we not f- flatter ourselves to think we can bear good fruit apart from Christ. May we remain with him forever. And we'll to make the ministry of this church fruitful and encouraging believers to these ends. For Jesus' sake. Amen.